0: Well, the series of messages, which is going to be about seven weeks long, is The Christian After Death. The Christian After Death. And I'm preaching on this subject because, well, among other things, it's something we're all going to experience, isn't it? And so we might as well learn everything we can. People say, you know, I'm so afraid of dying. Well, learn everything you can about it. The more you know about it, probably that assuages a lot of fears. But I'm going to preach on it and lead up to Easter, and then the great, great solution that God has for death is the resurrection. And we'll celebrate that, of course, on Easter. Now, today we're going to talk about to die is gain. To die is gain. That's the subject this morning. And if you would stand with me out of respect for God's Word, and we read beginning in Philippians chapter 1, verse 20. According to my earnest expectation and my hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness, as always, so now, also Christ shall be magnified in my body whether it be by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Look at that phrase. The Bible teaches that for the Christian, death is gain. He goes on, but if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I what, that's old English for no, I know not. I am in a straight, a tight place, betwixt two things, two options. Having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better, but nevertheless to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. And you may be seated. Thank you. Over the last two weeks of preaching on the Christian after death, I've established from the Bible that the soul of man is immortal. There was a time when you were not. There never will be a time when you will not be again. You will always live. The soul of man has a continuous existence, a continuity of existence, we call it. That physical death comes, but it is not the end. We bury the body. The Scripture says it goes back to the dust. Experience teaches us that. But the soul lives on in a new realm. The soul lives on in a new dimension. The Apostle Paul was in prison when he wrote this. He was not only in prison, but he was under under a death sentence. His death was imminent. It could have occurred at any time. And so he is writing these words. If you picture iron bars about him, he sits at a little table with his piece of sheepskin manuscript and his quill pen, and he scrawls these words that are going to be sent to the church over at Philippi. And he communicates to them his feelings. And he says to them, first of all there, I am in a strait, verse 23. Between these two options, these two decisions that I have, these two things that are going to happen to me, the word straight has the idea of a narrow place, a tight place. He, it, it has the idea... a a straight that I'm in a difficult situation he says if I live verse number 24 for me to abide in the flesh to stay alive and stay here he says really is more needful for you if I live I can continue my ministry to all the churches writing letters praying, talking to the people even though he was in prison he had some opportunities to do that So if I live, I'm going to keep right on doing what I've been doing. I'm going to serve the Lord with all my heart. On the other hand, if I die, well, that would be gain. For me to live is to go on and serve the Lord Jesus Christ, but to die is gain. Now, he gives us there a biblical attitude about death. Let me ask you a question. Do you have a biblical attitude about death, or do you think like the rest of the world around us? If you get your ideas of death from the newspaper and CNN and Fox News, I can tell you, you don't think biblically about death. You must go to the Scripture. We talk a lot here in our church, in our Sunday school, in our discipleship ministries at Florence Christian Schools, we buy a special curriculum to teach people a biblical worldview, to learn to look at the Bible through the glasses, the, the spectacles, if you will, to look at the world through a biblical lens, to interpret life from Scripture. And that's what Paul is doing. He is interpreting this whole idea of death from the Scripture Now, if I were to stand up here and on my own authority say to you, I want to tell you folks something. To die is gain. You're better off when you die. You'd say, the old man's losing his mind. But when Paul writes it under divine inspiration in the Scripture, then we know that that's the word of the Lord, right? And so if God says to die... For a believer, certainly not for an unbeliever, but for a believer to die is gain, boy, then we better start adjusting our worldview, don't you think, and learn to think like Christians about death? So my question to you today as I begin here is, do you have a biblical worldview about death or do you think about death like the rest of the secular world thinks about it? Are your ideas from the scripture or are they from CNN or from your college education or from other sources of information that you have? Where do you get your ideas of death? Did they come from your parents who may or may not have a scriptural view of death? And so in this series, I'm trying to educate our people biblically about the whole concept of death. And we've talked about where the soul never dies, the immortality of the soul. We've talked about various aspects of death. Now, today we're talking about one thing. Is it gain for a Christian to die, or is it loss? And Paul here says, to die is gain. You can't find a good answer from science and technology. Americans trust science. I've about had it up to here with being told that we must follow the science. Are you? You tired of hearing that? Somebody's got some agenda there. And I, I, you know what? I'm going I'm to follow the science. I wish the people who tell me that would start following the science. I haven't taken my shot at Dr. Fauci yet, have I? <laughs> Consider it done. I'm tired of hearing about we need to follow the science. And when I try to found, follow the science here, the science... Don't go nowhere, ladies and gentlemen. Excuse my grammar, but my thought is right. The science won't help you when it comes to dealing with death. You see, it comes short. It falls short there. And the great London preacher, Charles Haddon Spurgeon 150 years ago, who is one of the great heroes of mine, Spurgeon said, and I quote, I'm quoting from one of his sermons, Some have found fault with me that I do not speak enough about science and its conclusions. There's a poor widow here today in our services, though, and she recently lost her only child, a son, to death. She wants to know if she'll ever see that boy again. She wants to know where is he. So let's turn to science for an answer. And then Spurgeon paused. Long silence. Silence in the church. No answer. And then he cupped his ear and turned it to the congregation as if he was trying to hear something. And he said, we're waiting. We're waiting for science to speak and for technology to give us an answer. What happens at death? Is death gain or is death loss? And after a long pause, he said, Now let's hear from God. And the great preacher opened his Bible and he began to read the promises of God. You see, there is no answer to the question, the problem of death, except in the scripture. Now, number one, today, the world sees death as a loss. The world sees death as a complete loss. The tendency of this age, of course, is skepticism. It's unbelief. The tendency of our age is to question God's Word. And the world around us, the secularist, the unbeliever, looks at death as a calamity. Death is a catastrophe. It is absolutely the worst thing that could happen to anybody, anywhere, at any time. Death is so certain and so inevitable. It just hangs out there like a dark cloud over the minds of people who don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. And from a human standpoint, it is a loss. It is a loss of everything that we value, everything that we hold dear. We lose it all at death, we lose our time. We lose our money. We lose our friends. We, love, we lose the pleasures that, we, that we've grown to love in life. I lose my influence when I die. I, I lose my dreams, the things I aspire to and the things I would like to accomplish in life. Everything is all gone. It's the ultimate catastrophe for me to die. Death is absolute loss, ultimate loss. I've told you the story before about the rich man who died, the richest man in the little town, a little southern country town. He died and of course they put him in the finest casket that was available in that town. They put him in the back of the black hearse and it was all shined up and then they had the service. And it was the biggest funeral procession because everybody knew him and a lot of people worked for him and the tentacles of his influence went throughout the whole town. And the funeral procession's about a mile long. It went on and on and on and on as they make their way to the graveyard. Two old country boys from Pamplico or Sardis or somewhere like that standing on the corner watching this thing go by. One of them said to the other one, how much you reckon he left? And the other one said, all of it. All of it. Boy, don't forget that. What did he leave? (laughs) All of it. The old saying is you never saw a U-Haul behind a hearse because we take nothing with us. Death to the unsaved is the loss of everything there is. Now, One year ago, next week, it will be the anniversary of us having to shut down for nine weeks to go online, and then uh, throughout the year, you know what we've done. So we've had a whole year now. This is the 52nd Sunday since that occurred. We start a new year next week. And the... Nothing else has been revealed through COVID. And I think that's why I'm preaching this series, just from observation. COVID has revealed the great fear that people have, that Christian people have, church members have, about death. You know, the Bible calls death the king of terrors. The king of terrors, and it really is. And especially for those who don't know our Lord. And you know, though, I've watched fear come and grip people and just paralyze them, just control them, that they basically stop their life. They cease to their existence for all purposes. I have heard of people now that have not gone outside the door other than maybe to walk out in the yard for a whole year. Now, bottom line, what is going on there? That is an inordinate fear of death that you would take a year of your life and just set it on the shelf because you're so afraid that you could get sick and that you could die. And COVID has certainly revealed to us that many, maybe most Christians, do not think biblically about the idea, the concept of death. You know, 2 Timothy is such a vital verse during the times that we're in. Chapter 1 and verse 7. God has not given us the spirit of fear, but he has given us the spirit of, of, he's given us power and the spirit of love and of a sound mind. And it is that sound mind, that right biblical thinking I'm trying to develop in you, my friend, to help you so that never again, no matter what happens, you're not going to be paralyzed By the fear of death. Hebrews chapter 2 in your Bible says that Christ died to deliver us. Now I'm quoting the scripture, hear it. Christ died to deliver us from the fear of death. Christ died to deliver us from fearing death, to not think about death as the world thinks about death. And he went to the cross. The Bible says he set his face like a flint to go up to Jerusalem. And he got there, and you know the story of how he was treated. And you know that the night before he died, he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, and the sweat becomes bloody. It is so, the stress upon his body is so profound. And he cries out, Oh God, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. But it was not possible and the cup didn't pass and he went to the cross now he was our example in facing death that i'm not minimizing death death is a horrible horrible thing it is the result of sin the wages of sin is death i'm not trivializing the seriousness of death but on the other hand christ faced it and he overcame it he pulled a stinger, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And you and I are to follow his example, not paralyzed and terrorized by death, but facing it scripturally and resolutely and with the faith that God is going to carry us through. About a couple of years ago, I bought a book. And the book was called The Journey Home by Bill Bright. The subtitle of the book is Finishing with Joy. Boy, I treasure that book. I've never read a more touching book than Bill Bright's story of his death. He went to the doctor. The doctor told him, you have pulmonary fibrosis, and you're going to live no more than a year. And Bill Bright went home with his wife, Vonette, and they began to prepare for his death. He was the head of Campus Crusade, worldwide ministry, lots of missionaries and so on. We didn't always approve of all the directions they went, but he was one of the most godly men I know of that have lived in our day. And of course, at first, he describes the shock you go through when you've been told you're going to die. You're going to die within a year. You're going to die a pretty difficult death because it's going to be like somebody had a pillow over your face suffocating you and you can't get any air. And he went home, and he began to think and to prepare. And he opened his Bible, and Bill Bright said, I was determined I'm going to learn how to face death God's way. And so he began. He had a highly disciplined regimen of what he did each day. He read a daily reading to take him through the Bible in a year. But he also read the Ten Commandments every day. He read the Lord's Prayer every day. He read other selected scriptures every single day, same scriptures. And he said, here's why I did that. I, I, I read them till I knew them. I could memorize them. I could repeat them, but I continued to do it because I was determined to fill my mind so full of God's Word that when the fear of my death would grip me, I would be able to to have resources inside to deal with that. He writes, having God's perspective changes everything. Boy, profound. Having God's perspective about your impending death changes everything. He said, quote, I do not, need to feel good to be in the center of God's will. All the people that live off your feelings, <laughs> hear me. Some of you, your spiritual temperature is based on how you feel on a given day, which is based on the circumstances that are happening in your life. And if you have a headache, you think, what's wrong? Doesn't God like me? <laughs> no, let me tell you. I don't need to feel good to be in the center of God's will. He said, quote, By his example, Jesus freed us from trying to pretend that death does not hurt. Boy, each of those quotes are so powerful. By his example, Jesus freed us from trying to pretend that death does not hurt. It does hurt. Nobody wants to die. God gave us that survival instinct. We're going to fight death every moment that we can. We're going to put it off as long as we can, and rightly so. On the other hand, as I've already illustrated, Jesus Christ faced death. And he showed us how to not only how to live, Jesus showed us how to die. And his example should be the example that shapes our philosophy, our thinking, our worldview about death. The world sees death as total loss. And that's a wrong view. Number two, though, the Bible views a Christian's death as gain. The Bible views a Christian's death as being a gain. Now, how could that be? That is... That's that's illogical to all of my human thinking, isn't it? How in the world could dying be gained? And I'm going to give you, let's see, one, two, three, four, five ways. I'm going to give you five ways that death is gained for the Christian straight off of the Scripture page. And I want you to maybe just write the references down and you can go back and study them. The first one, number one, I find it right here in the text that we're looking at, Philippians 1 and 23. And here I read in that verse, I have a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Far better. God's Word says that death, now for the believer, not the unbeliever, man. If you're an unbeliever, we're not talking about your death. But if you have assurance of your salvation today, If you're trusting Christ, if you've been born again by God's Holy Spirit and you're in God's family today, death, according to the Scripture, is what? Far better. To be with Christ is far better. I've tried a thousand times to imagine what it's going to be like to meet the Lord. I've never been able to get a really good, clear concept of it. It's so up there, so great, so out there, so transcendent. What's it going to be like? I, I, my soul goes to be with the Lord or I'm raptured and now I'm in the presence of the Lord and I don't know maybe 5,000 years after I get there and I'm not going to be there by myself huh? I hope <laughs> some of y'all don't act so sure about it right now well I'm not going to be there so my turn finally comes there he is Jesus wow how tall is he 6'6 six, six? Five eight how tall is he how big is he what does he look like what color is his hair his eyes and I stand there and I think this is the moment of all moments Jesus I look at him he's the same one that was born in a manger a little baby he's the same one that walked the hills of Galilee, and sat and taught the the Beatitudes. Man, here he is. He's the one who suffered. He's the one who went to the cross. Boy, I'd like to ask him, Jesus, what was the cross like? Tell me a fresh new story about it. He's the one they laid that body in the tomb for three days. And then the power of God came upon that body. He resurrected, stood up, and pushed that stone away from the door and walked out of there. Jesus. I I can't do any better than that. What is is it going to be like? Bill Bathman was our missionary here for over 50 years. He went to heaven a couple years ago now. Dear friend, the man I went to Europe with them behind the iron curtain I've told you so many stories about Bill wrote a book a few years ago sent me a copy of it and it's uh, such a poignant cover on the paperback book it's a picture of a little girl she's looking up and there's just a figure not a face and all you see really is the hand and the hand has a bloody hole in the middle of it. And the little girl in the picture obviously just arrived in heaven. And she looks up at the figure, the hand, and she said, Mister, how'd you get that hole in your hand? <laughs> a, child's, a child's first moment in heaven. Mister, how'd you get that hole in your hand? And the rest of the book, uh, of course, deals with those kinds of issues. Why'd you get that hole in your hand? What is it going to be like to see Jesus? Well, I don't know. I can't tell you anymore. I wish I could. But I can tell you this is going to be far better than anything you've ever experienced before. Then in Revelation chapter 14, would you turn there in your Bible? A text I've often used for funeral services, but it gives us insight into what we're talking about. We're talking about the Bible says death for a Christian is gain. How is it gain? Well, we're with Christ, who is far better, number one. Number two, those who die in the Lord are blessed of the Lord. This passage says that. Those who die in the Lord are blessed of the Lord. Revelation 14:13 I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, write, blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from hence, henceforth yea, saith the spirit, that they may rest from their labours and their works do follow them. Boy, there's so much there. What I want you to notice, we say blessed are those blessed are the living. This verse God says, blessed are the dead. Now, again, I want you to notice those who die in the Lord. Not blessed are those who die without Christ. But those who die in the Lord receive a beatitude, a blessing pronounced upon them by God. And then look at the word rest there. That they may rest from all their labors. And that's a very special word, rest It doesn't mean the rest of idleness. You hear these stories and these songs and these portrayals and look at these pictures. Man, I've often thought, I don't even know if I want to go to heaven if that's what it's going to be like. Floating around on a cloud and strumming some harp. Well, some people don't even like harp music, you know. And uh, is that what it's going to be, floating around in this ethereal environment, strumming on a harp? Somewhere? That did not come from the Bible. That's not a biblical picture of heaven. What is the biblical picture of heaven? The biblical picture of heaven is that we're going to serve the Lord there. That we're going to have duties there. Some of you who thought you were going to go and fish through eternity, uh-uh, you're going to work. You're going to serve the Lord in heaven. He's going to have places for every one of us. Do you remember he said to that man, well done, good and f- faithful servant. You have 10 cities I want you to ro- rule over now. And so God has prepared things for us to do throughout all of eternity. And the word rest there is the idea of refreshment. It's the idea of being rejuvenated. It actually has the idea And the context of that word was usually used from a sailor who had been a lifetime at sea and he had fought the storms and he had traveled the world and he's so weary now and he's ready to retire and the sailor comes home from the ocean and the sea and now he's rejuvenated and he's rested in heaven and then he's assigned his responsibilities for eternity. The soldier who has been in the combat He's weary from the battle. He's like the men who've been in Afghanistan and Iraq and so on. Time after time, they come home and they're so bone weary. They're just dropping down. And the death is pictured as we rest. We go to heaven when we die. And we're refreshed. And we're rejuvenated. And we're re-energized to be able to do the task that the Lord has appointed us for our days. Those who die in the Lord, secondly, are blessed to the Lord. There's a third one. It's in Luke 9. Please turn with me there, Luke chapter 9. And here's the point. Jesus compared our death to the Exodus. He compares the death of a believer to the story in the book of Exodus. Exodus when the Jews left Egypt after 430 years of slavery. And I hear them singing as they march out of Egypt that night after the Passover, free at last, free at last. Thank God Almighty we're free at last. Except that hadn't been written yet. But uh, I'm sure they were singing something like that, huh? And they were singing because for the first time in 430 years, they're drawing the breath of free men, marching to the land of promise. And Jesus here, this scene is this scene of the the, uh, transfiguration. And at the transfiguration, of course, Moses and Elijah come down to visit with Jesus on the mount. And uh, he has the three apostles, his inner circle with him. And they see Jesus transfigured into a a glorified existence. And then, if you will notice in verse 29, it says, As he prayed, the fashion of his countenance was altered. His raiment was white and glistening. And there talked with him two men, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spake of his decease. You know what's interesting is that word decease there, Jesus is speaking of his death, but the word decease is the same word used in exodus. It's the word for exodus, exodus, to exit, to leave one place as a slave and go to a better place where you're free is the idea that there. Go over to Galatians in your Bible. Galatians chapter 5, in verse number 17, it says, The flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. And then it tells us in verse 19 through 21, the works of the flesh. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulation, wrath, strife, sedition, heresy, envy, murder, drunkenness, reveling, and such like. The works of the flesh. You know, here's the thing. Salvation, and hear me well on this because a lot of Christians don't understand this. Salvation produces many changes in us when we're saved. Second Corinthians 5:17, "If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. He's a new creation," is another translation of that word. If you're in Christ, you become a new being, a new person. But listen to me, hold. There's one thing that's not made new when you're saved, and that's that old nature. It's called the flesh. It's called the old man. It has a group of names, the old nature. And salvation produces change in everything in our being except none in that old nature. Because that old nature is a result of sin. And that's why we constantly have this tug This battle goes on, this conflict within us. There's this new nature that is born of the Spirit. And this new nature wants to please the Lord. And I know what is right, and I want to do what is right. But over here on this side, I've got this old nature. And it's always pulling against me, and it's always tempting me. It's the stronghold of all the temptations and sins that I face in life. The flesh induces me to sin. It's the source of temptation. A lot of times people say, the devil tempted me. No, most of the time it's your own flesh that's tempting you. The lust of the flesh, the Bible calls them. And our exodus from this world when we die, if we're believers, our decease, our death, is like the exodus. It's like the slaves who after 430 years now are breathing free air, and you and I will leave this world as Christians, and you know what will happen? We'll get a glorified existence, and no more will we have to deal with that old sinful body. We'll have victory from then on, I promise you. We'll experience life in a new dimension. We'll be free from everything that brought us pain and sorrow and disappointment In this world. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse number 12 says, Now we see through a glass darkly. But when we pass into the next world, death is gain. We'll have greater comprehension. We'll have greater understanding. We'll have greater insight. Because death is gain for the believer. Boy, I get tired of being tempted. And I'm tempted every day that I live. And so are you. And Lot's living down there in Sodom. And I don't know if Sodom was much worse than America today. And he's living in Sodom. And here's what it says about him. And by the way, he was subject to the flesh. There's not a guy that failed more miserably in many ways than Lot. And yet he was God's child. And you know what he said? The scripture says about him that he looked at the men of Sodom and they vexed his righteous soul. And you and I, we get our righteous souls vexed quite often, don't we? You look around you and you say, Can it get any worse? And then next week it's worse. Our righteous souls, redeemed part of us, so tired of fighting the battle sometimes. And yet we're going to a place where Revelation 21 says it like this. There's nothing in that city that defileth. There won't be any temptation there. There won't be any propensity and tendency to sin. We're going to a place. Death is gain. A place where we leave that old nature behind. 2 Timothy 4 and 6 is another one. That's number four. God describes, or Paul describes, death as a departure. Comparing the death of a believer to a ship that is casting off from her moorings that appear somewhere and setting sail out across the ocean. And Paul says, you know what death is like? 2 Timothy 4 and 6. The time of my departure is at hand. And that word departure has the idea of I'm getting ready to take a voyage. I'm leaving behind a life of sin and sorrow and pain and conflict. And I'm going to another country. I'm going to the country that the Lord Jesus Christ inhabits and where he is now. And the fifth one, Is in Genesis 49. Turn with me all the way back. And this I think is so such a beautiful picture of what why death is gained for us. Genesis 49 and 29. And this is Jacob speaking, and he charged them his sons. He said unto them, I am to be gathered unto my people. Note that phrase. What is death for the believer? It is to be gathered unto our people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field of Ephron. Then down in verse 33, when Jacob had made an end of commanding his sons, he gathered up his feet into the bed. He yielded up the ghost. The word ghost is spirit, of course. He yielded up his spirit and he was gathered unto his people. Why is death game for the Christian? We're gathered to our people. Gathered to our fathers. The Old Testament uses that phrase numerous times, to be gathered to our fathers, gathered to our people. It says that about um, some of the judges over in the book of Judges. In fact, it describes a whole generation of people, the generation after Joshua, are gathered to their fathers. The Bible uses that kind of terminology. It's so beautiful. It doesn't mean that your grave is going to be close to your parents. It might be or it might not be. Jacob's was, but most of the others weren't. It doesn't mean you're going to be buried in the same cemetery or graveyard as your parents. What does it mean? It means that we're going to a place, when we die, if we're believers, where we're going to be in direct, face-to-face contact with loved ones and the redeemed of all the ages. Can you just imagine entering heaven? And somebody said, that's where Abraham lives. You go down the street, you see somebody, who's that guy? Oh, that's John who wrote the book of Revelation. Has anybody seen Frank and Hallie Monroe? I'm interested in them. And I get to see them. When I was 40 and 50, I didn't have anybody over there. Now I've got a bunch of people over there. And I'll get to see them. And so, you're going to walk by my casket here one day and say, oh, this is bad. No, let's think like this. He's getting to be, he's having a Baptist temple reunion over there. Do you know how many of our brothers and sisters I've buried through the years? I was at a funeral the other day, holding the funeral, and the funeral director came over and he said, I'll bet you have, buried more people than any preacher in our area i said man that ain't no compliment let's take the state (laughs) i mean 52 years of having funerals i wish i'd have kept a record i don't know how many there have been more than i wish one would be too many but you know we could have quite a church service over there on the other side right now just the baptist temple people who've gone on huh I hope they'll all be there. (laughs) But we will have face-to-face contact with our loved ones and the redeemed of all the ages. Think of that. Conclusion. For the believer, death is gain. I have not seen Ear hath not heard. It's never entered into the hearts and minds of God's people the things the Lord has prepared for them that love him. Question. Will it be game for you? Or will it be loss? We don't want to die. I'll fight it to the last minute I can but when it comes, will it be gain or will it be loss? There's a man dying named Charlie. His friend asked him, Charlie, they've pronounced you terminal. How long do you have to live, Charlie? Charlie said, do you mean here or hereafter? Charlie got it, didn't he? Physical death is not the end. There's a continuation of existence. And for the Christian, death is gain. Stand to your feet with me, please, and your head bowed.